thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Together, even when it looks like that outside. Uh, I don't, how many of y'all lose your power this morning? Anybody really early? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, we did too. I'm going to preach angry today. Anyway, it was, it's, been a, it's been a great day so far, despite the gloominess, because we gather together to make much of Jesus and to the very end of connecting everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And Sundays are a big part of that, and we are glad uh, that you are here. You know, this past week, I was able to take our staff, at least most of them, a couple of them couldn't make it, and their families out to Townsend. And man, we had a great time. Take a look at this screenshot here, and uh, uh, there's some of your team. I'm going to tell you, uh, we work with some of the greatest staff on the planet here at Connect Church. They do such a good job and uh, I just I show that to you just to remind you, continue to pray uh, for your team here, your ministry team. And, and what a joy it was to play in the river and, and go in the pool and cornhole and eat together. Just a, a really good time. So to this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4 as we continue in our series. Now, i, I got to share this with you. This last week in our family text, I don't know about you guys, but our family text is just weird, right? Like we save up the best memes we find, and we throw it on there. We strategically use them to bring laughter and cheer to our family, and we pray to God it's never exposed. But listen, this past week, my father-in-law sends me a church sign. Now, we don't have our own space yet, and so we don't have the church sign issue yet, but we will one day, and this absolutely horrifies me. I know what they're trying to do with this church sign, but I just want you to read it and see if you see what, what, what I see in it. You ready? Just read that. Like, I know what they mean, right? Like they, they, they love people who are hurting, but man, when you drive by a sign and maybe you're not in the church world and you're like, that church loves hurting people. Like, what does that look like on a Sunday, right? Like, they didn't give. Somebody takes them out in the back, right? I mean, it just, I love that. And, uh, and, and honestly, it terrifies me for the day that we have a church sign. But with that being said, you know, the truth is, is that we really do love people who are hurting. And what we find today is that part of the reason so many are hurting is because of an enemy we're going to expose today. For the past three weeks, we have spent time in Nehemiah looking at this intense opposition that Nehemiah has faced as he has followed this vision God put on his heart to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. We've chronicled this journey. Up to date, we've looked to, at this unending verbal assaults, these untrue allegations, unrelenting criticism, and an unfaced enemy in Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Now, when it comes to vision, church, here's where I want us to camp out today. When it comes to vision, uh-oh, my piece is gone. Oh, somebody put it up there for me. That is great. Somebody did the work. We've got to understand this. That when it comes to God-sized vision, there's always an adversary we must confront. There's always going to be an adversary that comes onto the scene. Let me define an adversary for you. Here's what an adversary is. It's defined as a person, a group, or a force that opposes or attacks. Sand, Ballot, and the gang, they play the role of adversary well. But I want you to hear me, church, that whether it's in the story of Nehemiah 
or your story or mine, there is an even greater adversary that we faced that is out to destroy you, and it's out, he's out to destroy me. You see, we began with Nehemiah taking on criticism, but we see that this criticism takes a sinister turn towards threats of violence and, and violence. And so the question becomes, and how do you and I face down an adversary that is bent on destroying us? Well, let's watch this unfold in the life and the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning of verse 8. Nehemiah, speaking of his enemies, says this, that they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to stir up trouble against it. But he says this, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. You see, Nehemiah is busy praying and posting all the while the enemy is positioning themselves for an attack. They are out to cancel Nehemiah and his vision. And Nehemiah is refusing to be canceled or even killed for that matter. And so we find that meanwhile, the people in Judah said, now watch this, this barrage of criticism and these attacks are wearing the people of God down. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Man, they're running into some construction delays. Now there's just too much rubble to get out of the way. They don't know where to put it. They don't know how to move it. And then it says this, we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy says, and now here's where we see the words of the enemies coming against them. Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Hey, hey guys, are you getting, it's getting to them. Right? All of this criticism, all of these threats, it's finally getting to the people of God. It's wearing them down. It seems as if it's Sanballat and the gang and their scheme is working. They have evoked fear. They have provoked anxiety. And they have invoked panic in the hearts and minds of the families rebuilding the wall. And so Nehemiah must take action. Because here's the truth that we all know to be true in the story of Nehemiah. Is that he didn't have just one enemy. He had many enemies. And they weren't just coming at him from one place. They were all around him. Hey, can you see from the north to the south to the Ammonites in the east to the people of Ashdod in the west? Man, his enemies are all around him. And it must have been overwhelming. It must have been disheartening. Discouraging even. But Nehemiah takes action. Look in your Bible. It says, therefore... Nehemiah recounts, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and exposed places, posting them by families, watch this, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. There is a real physical threat that is at play here. A real one, without question. But I want you to see this, there is an even bigger spiritual threat that is waging war against Nehemiah and the people of God. While Sanballat and the gang, listen, we know they are formidable foes, there's an even greater adversary at work. You see, at the heart of God's vision for Jerusalem, he is positioning her to be ground zero. You ready? To save the world. 
It would be within the very walls of the city of Jerusalem, the walls Nehemiah was rebuilding, that God would send his son Jesus some 500 plus years later to die on the cross for our sins and to empty the grave for our salvation. And we're reminded of a truth we know very well. Where God is at work, the adversary is on the move. Where God is at work, the adversary is on the move. Guys, do you know what the Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Hebrew word for adversary is? Hey, better yet, do you know the Greek word, the language of the New Testament, the Greek word for adversary is? Well, that word, better yet, a name is Satan. Satan literally means adversary. He's also referred to in the New Testament as the devil, which means he's a slanderer. In Revelation 12, 10, he's the accuser of the brethren who stand before the throne of God day and night, accusing you and me. In Matthew 4, 3, he's the tempter. In Matthew 13, 9, he is the evil one. Later on in Matthew chapter 13, he is our enemy. In John 8, 44, it states that he is the father of all lies and a murderer. In Revelation 12, 9, he's the deceiver of the world. A fitting description of Satan, our adversary. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where Peter reminds the church, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone, someone he can devour. I read an interview by a long-distance runner by the name of Kip Leggett. He's from the, the nation and the people of Kenya, And one day at the Sydney Olympics, he was interviewed, and the interviewer asked him this simple question. How is it that Kenya continues to produce such incredible long-distance runners and athletes? Well, with clever wit, Kip told of the African strategy for motivating success in running. And he said this, it's the road signs, really. And this is a road sign in South Africa that says, beware of lions. Listen, I I don't run ever, but you put a lion in my trail, I will beat you, I will throw you behind me, and I will win whatever race. I will be a long-distance runner. And that was the motivation. Hey, church, beware of a lion who goes by the name Satan. And do not underestimate your adversary. Now, you'll notice if you read the book of Nehemiah, Satan's name is, is not mentioned, but without a question, he's on the scene. Undercover, perhaps, or directly working through Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And yet we find in verse 13 of chapter 4 that Nehemiah begins to suit his people up for battle. And church, I'm telling you, we must do the same. Our weapons, yes, they look a little different. Today, for the church in America, our battle is not against flesh and blood yet. Our battle, is it against flesh and blood? Meaning, today I don't throw out and hand out spears or swords or give you a shield. But our battle predominantly is a spiritual one. It's spiritual warfare. 
And by the way, when I say spiritual warfare, I'm not talking of a metaphor, I'm talking of reality. When I speak of spiritual warfare, I'm not talking of a lesser battle, but of a far greater battle than any flesh and blood battle can present to us. Paul, in fact, in his final words, writing to the Ephesians, and guys, listen, when, when somebody throws out their final words to you, they're the most important. And guess what Paul's talking about? Spiritual warfare. Watch this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Listen to that language. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. And the Bible goes on and says, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, be strong in the Lord. You know what that means? That in and of ourselves, that, that you and me in our own strength, we are not strong enough to stand against Satan or anyone who works for him. We just aren't strong enough. And it is clear that our battle is not against some lightweights. It's against the adversary, Satan himself. Listen to the language. There are cosmic and dark powers at play according to Scripture. You know what? I read that, and you know what I begin to think? And this sounds pretty serious. Like, maybe even more serious than you and I give credit for. I love this from the author of Desiring God, an author who writes for them. He says, though Satan has been decisively defeated and his future is doomed, he lives for the present. Hey, hey, by the way, isn't that one of his greatest temptations? For you and I just to live for today, just live for what's present. He still schemes in 2 Corinthians 2. He still stalks in 1 Peter chapter 5. He deceives in Revelation 12. He ensnares in 2 Timothy 2. He hinders in 1 Thessalonians 2. He harasses in 2 Corinthians 12 and attacks us with fiery darts of temptation in Ephesians chapter 6. And although you and I are really good at dismissing spiritual beings and, and spiritual warfare here in the American church, it doesn't mean that they don't exist. Just look at the depravity. Look at the darkness around us and in our world. Spiritual beings and forces do exist, and they are both at work and at war all around us. And I want to say this. That means for you and I, for us to take ground away from Satan and his demons means that all hell can and will break loose. Will break loose. Don't believe me, ask Nehemiah. But where does that leave us? Hey, believer, do not fear. This is not Paul preparing us in Ephesians to fear, but to fight. This is not a call to panic, but a call to prepare. This is not a cry to worry, but to wage war against all hell itself. If need be. Why? Because we're reminded of this in 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we're reminded by Jesus that the gates of hell will not overcome you, the church. It's not a call to fear, but to fight. 
I love what J.D. Greer said concerning Satan and his singular goal. Watch this, you ready? He says, Satan has a singular goal, to convince us to join him in rebellion against God so we can accompany him to hell. That's his singular goal. Hey, can I say something just real quick? Number one, I'm not convinced. Number two, I'm not going there. Church, we're not convinced. And number two, because of Jesus, we ain't going there. That's why Paul would write and finish out this letter in Ephesians in this way. Therefore, watch what he says, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spear, which is the word of God. You know what Paul is saying to the believer? Suit up! Suit up! I want to do this. I want to give a two to three sentence description of each of the pieces of armor. Now, uh, in, in the late winter time, we're going to revisit chapter 6 of Ephesians, and we're going to spend weeks here. But I want to give you two to three sentence, just description of what it's like. The belt of truth in verse 13. Hey, I want to remind you something, believer. Satan wants you to be just like him, and that is to be a liar. He wants you to be a liar just like he's a liar. So what do we do? We buckle truth around our way. Truth that is established by God, revealed in his word, and embodied in his son, Jesus. The buckle on the belt of truth is the very word of God. Then there's the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Both pieces of armor intended to protect the vital organs of a warrior. Hey, by the way, most of your life, if you grew up in church... You think that the armor of God really is an object lesson of a Roman soldier and what it looks like, his armor looks like. Man, I'm going to argue with you now and back in the winter, or ahead in the winter, I'm going to argue that this is not a picture of a Roman soldier. Rather, this is a picture of all of Isaiah picturing our warrior king and following after what it is he goes into battle with. And this is what Paul encourages. There's the, there's the, shoe, the shoe of peace. The shoes of peace. Satan is the author of of bad news, and he hates the good news of the gospel, which brings peace to war-torn and sin-tormented souls. The shoes of a warrior were often fitted with hobnails at the bottom like cleats. For the believer, they are to be worn by those ready to both stand and advance the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. Hey, believer, put on your shoes. If you ever have kids, do you know what you'll say 17 times in one day? Put on your shoes. My kids don't want to walk around with shoes for nothing. I'm telling them time and time again, put on your shoes. You know what Paul's telling the church here? Hey, church, put on your shoes. You see these, this breastplate of righteousness, this helmet of salvation, guarding against and protecting the vital organs. You know why? Because Satan wants us to join him in rebellion against God with two things, with our hearts and our minds. But when God saved us through Christ, he imputed into us the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, our salvation enables us to live righteous or right with God. Believer, wear your breastplate. Put on your helmet. 
and put on your shoes. The shield of faith protects us from arrows of fire from Satan's bow. Arrows like fear and doubt and rejection and persecution and yes, even death. Fired by Satan who seeks to injure us, to wound us so that we will surrender. Church, hear me. Jesus is our shield and the object of our faith and our affection. Therefore, we both stand and advance the gospel and we do not lose heart. Hey, believer, pick up your shield. And lastly, there's the sword of the Spirit, which is defined in Ephesians as the Word of God. Satan knows just how powerful a weapon the Word of God is and how powerless he is against it. So for the believer, picking up the sword means that we read Scripture, we memorize Scripture, and we live out Scripture. But here's the thing about all this armor and about any warrior. you got to put the armor on. you got to put it on every day. Not just some days. You've got to put the armor on every day. Hey, believer, like Paul says to the church at Ephesus, it's time to suit up. But how do we do it? Anthony, how do we put on this armor each and every day? Well, first of all, I write this on some of the bottoms of my Bibles. And you can see this. It says this. If you can't read it, I'll read it for you. This is how I fight my battles. How do you put on the Word of God? Man, you open this book. And you begin fighting your battles here. Hey, can I tell you another way you put on the Word of God? How Paul would say we do it? In verse number 18, we pray in the Spirit. Now, if you've got any Baptist in you in your background, this scares you to death. What does that look like? Is that some kind of trance? You go, no, no, listen to me. It is not a trance at all. Praying in the Spirit means praying in the confidence that you are loved by God and that God's power can flow through you as you face the greatest of all enemies and the adversary that goes by the name of Satan. That we pray in the Spirit. You know, this morning, right before 5 o'clock, our power went off. And, and, and any time our power goes off, everybody wakes up. You know why? Because we got noise machines, we got box fans pointed in our face, and when the power goes off, it is terrifying at night how quiet it gets. And so right before 5 o'clock, our power goes off, and, and I'm like, man, I just, my alarm was set for 5.30. Do you know how important those last 30 minutes are? The devil tried to rob. Anyway, and so, man, we're just laying there. So you know what I did? Then I just prayed. And I thought, since I'm up at 5, I'm going to go ahead and suit up for today. And so I was just going to share with you, I kind of jotted down my prayer uh, before we started our services this morning, just to kind of share with you how maybe I put on the armor of God today at 5 o'clock in the morning. Pretty bitter and angry at life. Here it is. You ready? Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Today by faith. I'm suiting up for battle. Help me to hold fast to your truth, even if no one else does. I do not desire to walk in rebellion. Rather, I will walk in your righteousness. You're my peace, and it is my duty to bring the good news of Jesus to others today in both my words and with my actions. You're my shield, the object of my faith, and my affections protect me.
I will live according to your word today as I stand readied against the schemes that are arrows from the adversary. In Jesus' name, amen. So 5 o'clock with no fan blowing on my face in pitch black darkness with no noise. I suited up to get ready to come preach today. To do everything I can to, to win you over to Jesus and help you walk with him. Suited up. But not only do we suit up believers. You ready? We must fight. Look, look, we must fight. Look at what Nehemiah says here. That after he looked things over, by the way, people are crushed. People are scared to death and they're worried. He says, after I looked things over, I finally stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Man, I love this rallying cry of the troops. He calls them to both remember and to never surrender. Remember the awesomeness, the goodness, the faithfulness of God. Remember his promises. Do not give up or end to fear. Fight for your family. Fight for your spouse. Fight for your kids. Fight for the vision or the mission God has given you. Fight and never surrender to the adversary. But here's the problem. For most believers today, we never suit up. There's no fight in us. Rather than fighting each day to take back surrendered ground from the enemy, you know what we're busy doing? Just existing. Hey, going about our days acting as if there is no spiritual warfare or battle that's raging on. Acting as if our back ain't full of fiery arrows that he is firing at us every day intending to wound us, to injure us, to stumble as we try to follow after Jesus. We just aren't suiting up. And all the while, Satan is taking captive our, our wives, our husband, our kids, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, our community, our nation and people groups around the world. And what, are, what the lost people need today is a church that is ready to suit up and to fight, not against flesh and blood, but against an adversary named Satan. But where are we suiting up? Where's the suiting up going? How many days do you wake up and you put on the full armor of God? And you're ready to fight. Or are we just existing. I love this in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 15. Nehemiah says when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and I love this that God had frustrated it that God had been fighting this battle for them all along long before they picked up the spear long before they picked up their swords or their bows God was fighting this battle. We all returned the wall, each to our own work. And in verse 20, he said this, hey, by the way, when you get discouraged, when you get fearful, just listen for the sound of the trumpets because that will remind you that our God will fight for us. I mean, isn't that good? Our God will fight for us. I love, I love verse 20. You see, God has been fighting for them even as they were suiting up. Yes, church, hear me. God will fight 
for you, believer. But I want to encourage you, suit up and fight with him and for him, church. Where God is at work, there's an adversary on the move. But our ally is far greater and more powerful than even the adversary. So you know what? Beware of the lion. And listen to this last part that won't make sense right now. And don't give him a single nail in your life. Beware of the lion. And don't give him a single nail in your life. A Haitian pastor not long ago preached a sermon Sermon was really centered around making sure believers put on the, the full armor of God every day as to not leave parts of their hearts and their lives exposed to the enemy. And so to bring this point home, he told a story. The story of a man who owned a home and wanted to sell that home for $2,000 in the Haitian market. Well, as he put it up for sale, there was a poor family and they loved the home and they needed the home and they went to the seller and said, hey, we would love to buy your home but we only have $1,000. And after much bargaining and reasoning and back and forth, the homeowner decided to sell the home. He said, but under one condition, I own the nail atop of the front door. I retain ownership of one single nail Top of your front door. Well, they agreed. Bought the home for $1,000, and you might see where this story is going. Not too long later, the homeowner comes back and says, hey, I, I want to buy back my home. The new owners were like, no, you can't do that. But the owner of the nail insisted, I, I want to buy my home back. Give me my home. And yet again, they resisted. And so the owner of the nail went out, and he found the carcass of a dead dog. He went to his nail that he owned at the home and he hung it there above the front door of the house. Before long, the new homeowners found the conditions to be unlivable. And they sold the home back to the owner of the nail for far less than they even paid for it. The Haitian pastor concluded this. If we let the devil have just one small nail in our life, he will return and hang on it death and rob us of the peace and the joy and the power of following Jesus. Church, as we fight this adversary, as we wage war against our enemy, we must beware, we must be careful not to give him a single nail in our hearts and our lives. But how does he put them up? I love what Tony Campolo once said. He said, remind, let me remind you that Satan is the one appearing in movies telling us that romantic love and sexual pleasure are the keys to fulfillment. He's the one behind an economic system that teaches us that money is the key to success and happiness. He's the one who sits in the psychologist's chair offering ultimate hope in life apart from God. He works in and through governments that coddle people into thinking that government help is the answer. 
He's the one teaching from our pulpits that life is about you, that God wants to make you rich, that hell is not for real, and the standards of the Bible are for a different time and a place. Church, hear me. Satan is hammering nails in our hearts and our lives through his lies and his deception. You might say, Anthony, I don't have any of them devil nails in my heart and my life. But if I did, how would I know where they are? Hey, church, show me where there is sin and rebellion in your heart and your life, and I'll show you exactly where those nails are. I'll show you exactly. Believer, we are to suit up. We are to fight. And don't you give the devil not one nail in your heart and in your life. I share this quote quite often. The last time, almost two years ago now, but it came from a pastor by the name of C.T. Studd. First of all, I'm going to have my last name changed to Stud. Pastor Stud, could you, anyway, just a great name. Here's what he said one time. He said, I pray that when I die, all of hell will rejoice that I'm out of the fight. But can I tell you something, church? If you fail to suit up every day, if you stand unwilling to fight, you'll never be in the battle. Your life will end in defeat because you've yet to engage the enemy and to reclaim surrendered ground. J.D. Greer said this, that Satan has a singular goal to convince us to join him in rebellion against God so that we could accompany him to hell. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm ready today to say I am I'm not convinced, and I'm not going. Rather, every day I'm going to suit up. I'm going to put on the full armor of God. And no matter where and when he comes, man, I'm going I'm to put up a fight. I'm going to die trying. I'm not going to let him take my wife captive. I'm not going to let him take my kids captive. I'm going to fight tooth and nail that he didn't take any of you captive. And I'll work every day for the rest of my life through his power and his strength to win as many people, to rescue as many people as I can for Jesus. But I've got to suit up. I've got to fight. And I can't give him a nail anywhere in my heart and in my life. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.